Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Lodestar's Lending Leaders. Our guest, return guest, friend of the pod, um, season one guest, Kevin Perenio, uh, chief lending officer at PRMG, leading independent mortgage banker or mortgage, independent mortgage company, I should say. Um, thanks again for, for being back, Kevin. I'm, I'm very excited to talk about all things in the industry from kind of your you know Mount Everest uh, size view of, of what's going on right now. Well, it's always good to be with you, Jim, and uh, the good people over there at Lodestar. Uh, Mount Everest, that's kind of you. I, I kind of feel like maybe maybe Mount McKinley. We'll just keep it okay. short and local. Fair enough. There you go. Ta- hey, tallest ta- 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 in the United States, so that makes sense. I'll, I'll take it. I know we, we spoke last April in the middle of a historic refi boom, right? Things are a little bit different now. I know from knowing you and knowing a lot of what you're, you're putting out content-wise that um, you're probably more bullish than most. On, on the market right now, but you see, you know, Fannie Mae saying a 33% dip year over year volume. Um, you know, what, how can't you get nervous? How, how do you kind of rectify, you know, those, you know, concerns that people have layoffs that are happening versus kind of your, your overall outlook? Uh, well, I, I think it's, um, you know, uh, coincidentally really important that you earmarked April when we mm-hmm. spoke, because for us, that was um, our, peak month of refi business, especially mm-hmm. boosted in our correspondent channels. So we have three channels. Mm-hmm. So we're wholesale, retail, and correspondent. And our correspondent, it's mostly non-delegated. We do a little bit of delegate as well. Mm-hmm. April, March and April were the biggest months finishing up all the Q1 fundings mm-hmm. um, and purchases for our correspondent channel. And um, for us, that was in essence the end of the refi boom. Mm-hmm. And um, ever since May, we noticed purchase business ticking up and refi business going down, even despite uh, the rates just this past fall actually being the low point in rates. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's some burnout, you know, it's been over a year, uh, um, you know, uh, of actual bars being hit on. Um, you know, some of the challenges you talk about, I think, mm-hmm. really apply to really refi heavy shops. Right. You know, they gear their manufacturing process, their systems, their, their pitch, their marketing, their sales team, you know, especially the call centers and the consumer direct centers, they get geared towards that. That's when they shine. And, um, but you know, it's, it's back to blocking and tackling. And so since May for us, we've had many great months, um, but um, we did notice, especially um, in December, uh, you know, rates had crept up very quickly Mm -hmm. and it's, seasonally not a strong month in a normal market. Right. And um, and the reason why I'm bullish is even though it's it's a normal market, the projections are for $2.6 trillion. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if we didn't have what we had in 20 and 21, people would be going crazy right. over 2.6 trillion in a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be like the fourth or fifth best year ever um, yeah. for our industry. And uh, you've got larger loan amounts for both Fannie, Freddie, mm-hmm. um, VA, FHA, um, all the county loan limits are raised, high balances raised. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just, you know, you can do less units, but your dollar amount per unit yeah. um, will be much higher, even on purchase business. Mm-hmm. And so we saw locks down, um, uh, trending down a little bit in December. And that's a seasonal thing that you know, in a normal market, that's a seasonal thing you see. So people aren't out hunting houses when it's Hanukkah or Christmas or Kwanzaa or New Year's, mm-hmm. and it's cold. For most of the United States, so the New Year starts. You know, not not to mention there was a little bit of an Omicron variant going on, right? So, yeah, just a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, um, 
you know, for what it's worth, everyone has to deal with it in their own way. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I saw, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, fed, uh, Richmond fed chair. Um, I think mm-hmm. his name is Barkin, mm-hmm. um, Barkin, something like that. He was talking earlier today. And I saw some clips and he said that during the Omicron variant, there were 12 million people that were either out of work, refusing to look for work, taking care of someone else, mm-hmm. or just staying at home for fear of Omicron. I mean, 12 million right. people are, you know, 150 person work, 150 million workforce is a big deal mm-hmm. in an already tight labor market. Right. Um, it's, it's very tight if you're, if you're trying to hire outside of the mortgage business. So again, all these factors kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I personally think January's fundings will be the low point of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already seen, you know, okay, cases down, hospitalizations down, right. deaths down from Omicron. People are coming out. Every day is getting brighter and longer. Mm-hmm. Warmer weather is around the corner, even though, you know, there's just a bomb cyclone, you know, up yeah. northeast. But, you know, we're such a big country. We're such a vast, abundant country with so many different areas that um, we're seeing locks pick up. We're seeing uh, our purchase money fundings for the month of January will likely be um, mm-hmm. the largest January we've had on record for purchasing mm-hmm. um, outside of a refi boom, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the boom. So we're very bullish going forward. And I think January will be the low point of the year for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the economy is still very strong fundamentally. And um, these next six months of the year are, are seasonally very strong for yeah. purchase money. And even though there's an undersupply and overwhelming undersupply of housing out there, it doesn't mean there's not a ton of transactions going on right. and a ton of business and a ton of demand. So um, it, it's it's just a very favorable uh, position for companies that mm-hmm. are deeply rooted in their communities, serving originators deeply rooted in their communities and going after purchase business like they always have. So mm-hmm. we feel like we're in a good spot mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're ready to rock. I know um, from our end, we saw with, we're primarily around kind of mortgage disclosures. So the beginning of that process, we saw a 20% month over month increase from December into this January. So, yep. you know, definitely, you know, and that, that's very typical and very seasonal. December is always the lowest in terms of the volume that we see. So definitely makes sense. You said one thing, You, I think the, the perspective is important that we're still looking at, you know, historically a really good market. Um, you had mentioned in the past um, when we last spoke that typically mortgage companies build their capacity based off, you know, the 3.5 billion, maybe 4 billion market that they couldn't quite handle a year or two ago, right? They build capacity, market slows down, price war. Is that still what you're seeing um, in the market as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, every single time that happens, um, what I notice is true independent mortgage bankers, privately owned companies. Like there's mm-hmm. only four of us that own this company, Paul and Robert, Paul Rozo, mm-hmm. Robert Holiday, founder company, and then myself and then Gary Malice, we're the four partners. We do, we are not beholden to um, our stock price every quarter or every month right. We um, or our public filing. We're not beholden to um, you know a hedge fund or an equity firm or wherever all these big mm-hmm. Companies get their money, and um, we aren't beholden to one model, only one channel, or only heavy refi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, we're we're diversified. We're a three-channel lender that's privately owned, that's mm-hmm. well capitalized, it's been in business for twenty years, over twenty years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't have to go do mass layoffs. We can hold our ground. Yeah. You know, uh, so so four guys that run that own the company, like we're, we're gonna nickel and dime all of our, you know, employees and, mm-hmm. and put them out on the street, you know, 
And also part of that setup, by the way, for us being able to hold our ground and hold our operations employees and not go through uh, layoffs is that when things were going crazy and everyone was building up their stuff, we weren't paying crazy guarantees. We held mm-hmm. our ground yeah. and said, you know what? I don't want to hire someone for a high price just to fire them in a year or two. Right. That, like, think about that. We would mm-hmm. rather do less volume and make less money as four individual owners to not have to fire our yeah. operations employees that we hired in the moment to make more money, which is what so right. many other companies do. And so yeah. again, you know, all, all that, all that downsizing and shrinking, that's, you're going to miss us with that because mm-hmm. um, that's, not, that's not how we roll. And we're okay with slow controlled growth. Yeah. We're okay with, you know, not making as much as we could have and, you know, foregoing some pain. I mean, you see, when you see companies lay off, you know, 50 or more employees, I mean, that is painful. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely painful. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I'm reading the headlines and I see it going on out there, 100 yeah. years, 100 there, 40 there. 900 there, you know, the guys mm-hmm. with better mortgage who are so much smarter than everybody else. Yeah. 900 people. Right. And, you know, so I know they're kind of a punching bag because, you know, right. you know, I mean, look, I'm sure there's absolutely fantastic people that work there and they would defend their turf and everything. But a 900 person layoff is absolutely unacceptable. I mean, that is right. That is completely mismanaging your company and putting zero value in your people to be that overweight mm-hmm. means you literally are inexperienced. And you set yourself up to have to fire 900 people right. on a Zoom call, by the way, which is absolutely yeah. stupid. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen know. on a much smaller scale growing up in a, in a family-owned title company going on year, but 20, uh, almost 30 now, right? Um, they have gone from six, 96 people to 16 and anywhere in between, right? And all of those, and dealing with that in the market. And I think there's a huge kind of personal toll that happens when you do that. Cause one, you can't really train people. It's tough to train people when you have that type of uh, turnover and you lose folks with that knowledge. Um, you know, you effectively have survivor guilt for the folks who are staying um, and then not to mention what it does for your profitability. So I know that slow controlled growth is really important. Um, and I, I, you know, wish people were to do that more. I think so many companies, especially in the industry, kind of manage themselves like they're on a run at a craps table, right? We're winning. Let's put more money on the table, more money on the table, more money on the table. Craps come, all that money goes off. And now you're losing and you're just pouring more money in until you get to that next hot streak, right? That's when you only rely on maybe one market, primarily the refi market. Yeah. And I saw a great clip yesterday. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, founder of Amazon. Mm-hmm. And he was basically saying um, <coughs> the difference between uh, mercenaries and missionaries. Mm-hmm. And he classified these companies that ramp up very quick, you know, either to go public or yeah. to raise money or to have a series round and then they want to exit, you know, so some individuals can make a, a, a rip. And, you know, I guess good for that individual, bad for the 900 people that got laid off, right? That's a mercenary. Right. You're, you, you're not, you know, to quote, um, you know, Simon Sinek, you're playing um, the infinite game versus, um, you know, uh, the, the not infinite game. We're we're missionaries. So basis with classified PRMG or most independent mortgage bankers, missionaries. This is what we do. This is our living. This is our yeah. livelihood. These are our communities. This is our people. The people that work for us. This is our family. We're mm-hmm. on a mission to serve our communities together with, you know, our teammates in both ops and sales. That's a mission. And that is playing the infinite game. That is a different mindset. And uh, and so we're here for the long run. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. And you had mentioned, we talked last time about fintechs, but I don't think we quite had the nuance of fintechs who are actually mortgage lenders, right? Versus fintechs like a SaaS company like Lodestar there, you know, we're a vendor, we're a provider to the industry. And I think it's different, right? Because you can be a true technology company, but if you're a mortgage lender, sure, you're leveraging technology, but you're never really a technology company. Right. And I think that's where probably some of these companies get in trouble. And you see that not only you know, with, with those fintech lenders, you see it with WeWork famously. Right. You see it with Uber like, yeah, you're a tech company, but you're just running property at the end of the day. Um, so yeah. I don't know, you know, your thoughts on, on, on that and, and those types of folks, you know, thinking that they can kind of, you know, outpace the rest of the industry. So, so it's, it's interesting. You know, it really depends on. You know, from 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 a, a purely fintech company standpoint, whether it's a vendor partner or the fintech part of a lender, you know, what is the strategy? Is it to serve the services side? So, like I like to classify it between services, yeah, people and tech people, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the the tech technology um, sometimes is a fad, right? So, you know, um, there are many valuable tech vendors that were in our industry 20 years ago that don't even exist because yeah. what they're doing um, is obsolete and um, it's no longer needed. You know, imagine, you know, uh, being, uh, you know, a mortgage, uh, you know, paper provider document, you know, shredding company, you know, I mean, that, that got eradicated because now everything's paperless, right? Yeah. So that's the only example I can think of at the top of my head, but mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so if a FinTech company, has an exit strategy. Um, they're trying to gain up a book of business, right. maybe get people in annual recurring revenue, 12 month or longer contracts um, in a software as a service, mortgage as a service, mm-hmm. um, you know, the SaaS models. And um, and then maybe the goal is to sell or raise more capital and serve more. Right. From a lender perspective, you know, especially if you're playing the infinite game, I mean, our two founders are 54 and 57. Yeah. And they're engaged every day. Like, I mean, even one on a Sunday was at the Rams game yesterday, mm-hmm. watching them beat the 49ers and he's texting about work and he's like a diehard Rams fan. So, yeah. you know, we're in it. We're, you know, fintech people don't work on Sundays, you know, unless of course you're a founder right. uh, or some, maybe a lot of shares if that's what's inspiring you. And so they're not necessarily playing the, the infinite game. Mm-hmm. And to be fair in their defense, their tech could be overrun by newer tech. Yeah. And, and so they kind of are forced to not play the infinite game. So um, what what I always, you know, kind of, you know, gets me going is when these lenders try to cater to Wall Street and, and try and tout themselves as a fintech company and not a services company. Right. And, um, you know, you get higher multiples for the value of your company on Wall Street or from, mm-hmm. you know, equity partners or takeout partners. If you're tech versus a mortgage services person, yeah. which Wall Street hates us, by the way. They think we're only as good as the Fed lets us be. Fed raises the rate. We don't do as much volume. We don't grow. We don't make as much money. We're not valued as much. They cut the rates. We do more refis. We make more money. They like us for the moment. I mean, and there are companies that run that way at the end of the day, too, especially if you're really, you know, doubling down on only one business and we're going to streamline the hell out of this from one office at one point in the country, right? So there are companies where I think that is true. Yep. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think you bring up some good points and, um, you know, you talked a little bit before about just getting back from the IMB show um, and talking with the independent bankers and the folks that are probably also playing the infinite game and I think are in a position too, unlike, you know, other 
other um, banking lenders and folks there where mortgages are all they do, right? So they need to figure out a way to survive those markets. Mm -hmm. So what what things are you seeing about how folks kind of, you know, weather these storms and how to figure out they can get through a period like this, you know, keeping their staff, um, dealing with the seasonality and just the year-to-year changes? Yeah, I I think... uh... You know, the the show in Nashville, uh, the Mortgage Bankers Association puts on a few shows in the year. Mm-hmm. And the first one of the year is for independent mortgage bankers. So mm-hmm. no banks. Yep. Um, and uh, and so, you know, our, our concerns are different. You know, I'm not we're not as highly regulated, although we're pretty regulated, yeah. uh, you know, but we it's a different kind of regulation. Um, we're more singularly focused on mortgage. Yeah. It's not like our 13th highest revenue stream is some of these banks, you know, it's our mm-hmm. only revenue stream. So, you know, our focus is the infinite game. Our focus is what are some things that we can, you know, uh, you know, work with each other, help each other, collaborate with, and then all uplift each other together and serve our communities together. And that's, um, you know, how I, that's why I like the IMB show um, mm-hmm. in Nashville. I had great um, closed door um, session to end uh, the show on, uh, I guess it was uh, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're just talking about margin compression. We're talking about mm-hmm. uh, the CFPB and what they're up to. You know, uh, what are people doing with their servicing portfolio, their MSR, mortgage servicing rights, their MSRs? Mm-hmm. Uh, does anyone have a strategy there? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and what's the market outlook? And the resources that the Mortgage Banker Association provides are fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. you got Bob Rooksmith, who's, you know, um, the present CEO, basically running the chairman, he's the guy, you know, um, he's in the meeting with us, you know, together with uh, Marina Stroud and, you know, mm-hmm. who's over all the, uh, the data and analytics. And you've got, you know, uh, multiple people in there that, um, you know, that serve at, at different capacities. So um, it's it's great to get all of us in a room together, plus all the networking and the conversations that yeah. sometimes just take on a different impact when it's face to face. And so, um you know, kudos to the NBA for having the guts to have an in-person show in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when quite honestly, some people are afraid of Omicron. You know, um, and and so you know, it's what it is. So yeah, uh, but but uh, it was a great show. A lot of good takeaways. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great, and I think it's so important for. Um, you would talk a lot about the idea of cooperation, right? So you're competing against other mortgage companies, but you have a lot more in common than you don't, and there's enough really space in the industry for everyone. So there's a lot more you can do to help each other and learn together than try to kind of feel like you have your own little silos, your own little secrets and and things like that. Like we're all kind of doing the same things, pricing loans a similar way. You know, everyone has their niche a little bit. So, you know, working together is going to help people a lot more than it's going to hurt people. And it's, it's yeah. great to, you know, hear folks that are actually embracing that strategy. Yeah. I mean, again, it's having that abundance mindset, knowing yeah. that there's tons of business out there. We can mm-hmm. all make a great living and support each other. You know, it's like those, uh, those little mini dog or mini pig races, you know, you see like the Corgi or the, yeah. you know, the Shih Tzu or the pigs, you know, some of them get out in front of the other, some kind of go the wrong direction, but you know, then they just, you know, one will catch on to something like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, check out this company capacity and this awesome, like chatbot yeah. that I can use to automate my help desk or right. check out Benlocker, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with their consumer data empowered or Matic insurance, you know, you, you get one of these little things. And someone gets out in front of it first, but then everyone's like, hey, what's that guy doing over there? And they try and catch up. You know, again, it's it's not rocket science. We all end up copying each other, yeah. you know, uh, in some form or another. You know, maybe someone gets an edge for a little bit here. Hey, good job. You run that race. We have another race yeah. tomorrow. You know, so that, that's the mindset. And, yeah. um, um, you know, unless, you know, unless someone's doing something truly revolutionary, 
um, and getting out in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, uh, it really suits us all best if we have a collaborative yeah. mindset. Mm-hmm. The last question I had for you, um, kind of going in mind with collaboration and community, I saw that PRMG just won its fourth award for, as a top workplace. Uh, so congratulations on that. Oh, sweet. Um, I didn't even know that. Thanks. Yeah, I think it was on <laughs> Google told me, right? It was Inland, Inland Magazine, something like that. So, you know, now trying to build a workplace and what it looked like 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago is different than what it looks like in 2022. So what types of, you know, things are you doing kind of intentionally now in this, you know, more hybrid environment that we're in um, to have that, that workplace as you're recruiting people, growing the business and trying to retain people? We we've been hybrid forever, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we hire people all over and let them work from mm-hmm. home, especially on the operations side. Um, we have mm-hmm. some teams in some areas. Our corporate headquarters in Corona, you know, we got some we um, you know off space. We prefer to be live, but it really wasn't a hard transition for us to send the remaining people in office home. Um, I think there's there's two things. I mean, obviously, you know, the vibe you get working here and. Um, the mm-hmm. fact that um, you're respected as a human being and what you mm-hmm. uh, what you do and and if you're good you're rewarded. Um, but I also think our decentralized model is what's different. You know, a, a lot of companies right now are like, all right, we got to consolidate, we got to shut down offices, yeah. we got to have less teams but bigger teams but centralized in one place so we can all watch it. We have never cared about that. That doesn't make any sense to us. Right. We're so decentralized. Um, mm-hmm. Give an example. You know, we have uh, we just hired. Um, so we, we've had uh, multiple fulfillment centers that are managed by individuals that are both over ops and sales. Mm-hmm. And um, we had one region that had um, three sales teams that kind of had their own pods. And mm-hmm. we promoted those sales managers up to regional manager. So now they're over both ops and sales in those regions. So we just tripled down on our decentralized model. Mm-hmm. They don't have to beg for permission from someone from corporate right. to do something. They can make business decisions you know, independently. So it's like, it's uh-huh. almost like they're running their own business mm-hmm. because we're decentralized. So the, the way that helps people in a remote office environment is your immediate leadership is all of your leadership. I don't mm-hmm. need to know 2,800 employees. I don't need to know all 2,800 of my employees because I trust the managers that we've hired and groomed yeah. over time. So, uh, so, so for us, if you're an employee, and you're working in Paducah, Kentucky, but your manager is in Dallas. Th- there's no, there's no, there's nobody in between your manager in Dallas mm-hmm. who's not our corporate manager and not right. in California or could be anywhere really. And if you and that person bond and you like your leader and you feel like you yeah. have an advocate with this company and you're learning and you're progressing, then the company serves you. And mm-hmm. so it's just about trusting your people in a decentralized model. Right. And you're, I think it's important that you're not only decentralizing how people can work or where they're working from, but the leadership is also decentralized too, which I'm sure, you know, helps with the diversification, helps with the speed of decisions um, and the ability to do that. But, you know, it's it's not always easy to give up control. So I can, def- I can definitely understand, you know, the, the forces at play there. Agreed. Yeah. Well, great. I mean, it was it was great having you on. You're always so generous with your time. Is there is there anything else we we missed, or anything you want to touch on? No, I just, I just you know I think um, I, I'll just share maybe you know a mindset thing that I sure. heard um, at the NBA for the opening mm-hmm. session um, after Bob Brooksmith opened on Tuesday morning at eight forty five mm-hmm. in Nashville, um, which I made it um, was uh, he had uh, Marcus Buckingham, who was an author, a mindset mm-hmm. kind of guy, and he said something very interesting that stuck out for me. Mm. Um, that was new. He said, you know, a lot of people 
you know, because we're, we're looking at what was working, what wasn't working last year, and now we're trying to retool and get better this year. Mm-hmm. He said most people look at their failures and try to invert it. Mm-hmm. So they just like, okay, eliminate mistakes. Let's invert it. But what he's saying is that doesn't always work. If you're trying to get good at a certain task, study excellence. Mm-hmm. Study those who are excellent at it. Study excellence. Right. And then incorporate that excellence into what you do. That's how you get better. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a very interesting way to position, um, you know, improvement, self-improvement and mindset going forward. Um, and, 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 you know, it just stuck out with me. So I'm going to I'm going to say it next week. We have our sales rallies mm-hmm. uh, for our wholesale correspondent channel next uh, week at the 9th, uh, February 9th. And then on the 10th of February, our retail channel at the Balboa Bay Resort um, here in Newport Beach. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to use that line and, and uh, try and get people fired up and. Get cracking for spring park like season, May 22, a kick-ass year. Let's do it. Well, speaking of studying excellence, I love to follow all your content and everything you're doing. So I really, really you. appreciate your time. I always learn something talking to you. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it.